Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, River Rock, and welcome. Hey, if you're a guest, well, thanks for joining. Psalm 23. It's got to be one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maybe today in your life, you need the great shepherd. The great shepherd to be there for you. To not only bring provision, but to bring peace and to bring hope. Maybe right now, it's incredibly difficult for you to know who to trust and who to be listening to as you scroll through your phone and you're watching on the news. Right now, it's, it's kind of confusing out there. But there is a great shepherd who understands and who is always there to be trusted. I know for some people it's kind of scary when you look at the, the near future and the far future and you're wondering, where do I go next? Well, I got good news. The Bible has story after story after story of how God brought victory to those who were facing utter failure, defeat, and annihilation even. We look at stories where David faces a giant called Goliath. What an incredible story. We look at some guy named Moses and, well, the empire of Egypt and Pharaoh. What an incredible story. We look at stories kind of like Daniel and the lions did, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But today we're going to look at a different type of story. One that really could be written into a movie in such a way that Hollywood couldn't write this kind of a script. It's about a woman named Esther. It has a little bit of everything. There's romance and there's violence. And there's just, there's just this incredible part that I believe God is showing me to bring to you that the story of Esther and those who would try to bring genocide and overtake all of God's people, well, it kind of overlays right now where we are at as a nation. It's an exciting story that is true. There's like five main characters. There's King Xerxes. He's, uh, he's, he's inherited this incredible kingdom, the Persian kingdom. Um, he's about three or four years into it as we dive into the story. He's all about sex, power, and greed, and then there's horrible Haman. Well, he's like second in command, works underneath the king. And uh, he's the villain of the story. And wow, is he a good one. Then there's a couple queens. There's Queen Vashti. She's only in chapter one. But she stands up for righteousness and integrity and honor. And then there's Queen Esther. Well, the hero of the story. And she's adopted. She's adopted by her older cousin. What an incredible character. A person of humility who struggles with fear and struggles with courage just like any of us do. And then there's the cousin. His name is Mordecai. 
Mordecai is a man after God's own heart. He is incredibly faithful to the cause of Christ, to, to, to the things of God. And he will not compromise, even if it costs him his life. So we start off, and what I'm going to do here is I'm going to try to give us you know, a summary of this whole story of Esther. It covers 10 chapters. So I'm going to leave out a bunch of tidbits simply because there's just too much material to cover. So I encourage you to go to the Word of God, find the book of Esther, and read those 10 chapters yourself. It's a fun read. It reads like a novel. Well, King Xerxes, well, he decides to throw this incredible uh, festival and party. It begins with a six-month-long festival where everybody was invited to come to the citadel there in Susa. There they would see all of the wealth, all of the resources and the might. This was kind of to let everybody in the 127 provinces know how powerful this man was. Now, at the end of those six months, he has a seven-day-long party. The wife, Queen Vashta, she uh, throws a party for just the women in the palace. But on the last day, well, King Xerxes decides, like everybody else, I'm going to show everybody how powerful I am as the new king. And he summons his wife. Now, you got to understand, these parties were full of debauchery. This is some of the worst pagan stuff you can imagine. And she's summoned so that she can dance in the most provocative way with the least amount of clothes and you can draw the rest of the picture. And she tells the eunuch, I'm not going. I refuse to do it. I have honor, I have integrity, and I will not do such a thing. Well, he's embarrassed, he's flabbergasted that she wouldn't do it. He, being the king, he speaks to his um, his wise counsel, you know what they tell him? Well, you're going to have to fix the problem because she cannot do this and get away with it. Otherwise, all the women and all of your empire will do the same thing to their men. And we won't have any law and order. Only the men get to make decisions. And so he agrees and he has her banished from his kingdom. Well, now it's time to find a new queen. And so the pageant, the beauty pageant is put on. Now, in comes in a Jewish guy by the name of Mordecai. Now, it's important to note that he has a younger cousin named Esther, and he says, hey, Esther, you got to get a part of this. Maybe you can become queen. And so she's able to work her way and, and finally gets to be a part of the king's royal harem. They go through months, like six months of oils and perfumes just to be beautified. The competition is unbelievable with all of the women, the young teenage girls, because they're fighting over who will be queen. And you know, she was a rarity. She showed the eunuchs, she showed all of the staff and the servants respect and dignity. When the time came that she would go before the king, they had this, this, uh, 
this opportunity to take all these clothes and these shoes and the jewelry and anything she wanted and accessories. And she looked at the head eunuch and says, what should I wear? What should I bring? It was amazing change from all the other women. And they fixed her up beautifully. She walks in before the king and all of a sudden the king says, hey, the beauty pageant's over. That's my wife. And he crowns her the next queen of Persia, Esther. Wow. Mordecai is able to become part of uh, working for the, the king and shortly thereafter, he just happens to be in the right place at the right time. That's called providence. God orchestrated this. And he hears these guys that work for the king who are so upset with him that they want to assassinate him and they work on a plan. Well, Mordecai gets that information and quickly gets to uh, Esther. And Esther, in turn, incredible loyalty, tells the king who does an investigation and then has these guys executed. Wow. Some time passes somewhere in all of this after the queen is crowned. And in this four or five year period, in comes this guy named Horrible Haman. Now Haman, we, we don't know how he becomes, but he becomes the second guy in charge. Well, in that, he wanted everybody to bow down to him. And everybody did, except Mordecai. Mordecai refused. He wouldn't bow down. They questioned him, and finally they found out that he was Jewish. Why is that important? Because in Exodus chapter 20, it says, you must, in verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. And verse 5, you must not bow down to them or worship them. And Mordecai was a man of God. He was going to submit to Jehovah God no matter what. Whether he was in exile and, or not, he was not going to violate his faith in God. Well, Haman wanted him dead. Haman didn't want him just dead. He wanted all Jews dead. Important to have some background on this guy. Haman is an Agagite. An Agagite is an Amalekite. Now we go back 500 years to a guy named King Saul who was instructed by the prophet Samuel to take out all the Amalekites. But he didn't. He let King Agag, as an Agagite, remain. And because of that, 500 years later, the sin of King Saul is now in front of the Jewish people once again. And their, their lives are at stake because of what Samuel refused to do. Oh my goodness. This guy is so arrogant, this Haman. Unbelievable. He is just a slimy character. Well, Haman was so arrogant and demanding that eventually he came up with the idea and he wrote a decree and an edict that he would have the king sign. And he bribed him and said, listen, there are so many people in, the, in your empire who don't believe in you, aren't bowing down, aren't listening to you, and they do their own thing. And we just got to ex execute them all. They all got to be dead. Let's do this on March the 7th of next year. And the king says, it sounds kind of good to me, but what about the money? 
He goes, and I will bring you X amount of dollars on top of all of that for doing this. So we're going to get rid of the bad rebels, and you're going to pay me a ton of money to do this. Here we go. He puts the signet ring down, and he makes the edict happen. Wow. Mordecai finds out about it. He goes through all of Susa, and he has burlap on. He's got the ashes going on. By the way, you put the ashes on, you look like you're dead. And everywhere he goes, he's mourning and weeping. He hasn't seen his cousin Esther in ages. So finally, somebody says something to her. She sends clothes. He says, no, I'm not putting them on. They come back and they tell her what's happening. And he says to her by the messenger, by the eunuch, you need to do something and speak to the king. Well, she sends work back again. I can't do this. And the reason for that, there's this tension. She hasn't seen or been in the king's presence in over a month. There's tension. This is not a good thing. The, he, the king isn't happy with me. How can I go before him? And then finally Mordecai says, don't you get it? They're going to do to you just like they're doing to us when they find out that you too are Jewish. So she turns around and says, fine, but everybody has to pray and fast. There's a time when you have to desperately seek God for revelation, for providence, for rescue, for victory, because you can't do this in the natural. Folks, there are things we are facing right here, right now, we cannot do, we cannot figure out, we cannot fix in the natural. There's not enough duct tape and bailing wire to fix the things we're facing in life right now. So, for some of us, we kind of lose what this kind of means. This edict of March 7th and the exterminating of a Jewish people. So let, let me make it a little bit more closer to home. How about you went tonight to go watch the news and on your cable news or on your, on your social media, you find out that there is an executive order that's been issued that on 4th of July of next year, every Christian, male and female, young and old, must be executed. Wow. How would you feel? What would you think? Well, that's what's happening here in this story. This is powerful. This is real for Mordecai and for all of those who are Jewish. Well, Mordecai pleads with Esther to use her position to take a stand. He says in Esther chapter 4, verse 8, and I read, Mordecai gave Hatch a copy of the decree issued in Susa, that's the citadel, that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hatch to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. This wasn't rumor. He has documentation. He also asked Hatch to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So when we hear about the hesitation, this is what he says. 
Esther's hesitation, verse 13, 14, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape, young girl, when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Wow. His faith that God is going to bring deliverance, is what, it's not in Esther, it's in God. Our victory always comes from God not a person. But you and your relatives will die. He's making it personal. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Mordecai is saying a few things to Esther here. First off, he's telling her, don't think you're going to escape the genocide, you or your relatives. Another thing is, if you don't do something, God's going to send someone else. You're going to miss a God opportunity. You're going to miss an opportunity to do something for God and his people. And then there's another one, another thought. God's positioned you exactly, Esther, for such a time as this, meaning this is providential. God has orchestrated this. Well, Esther's faith and courage is starting to kick up in, and she's beginning to get stronger. And she gets all everybody to be praying fast, and now she's going before the king. Now, you got to know, if you go before the king and you're not summoned by the Persians, literally, you could be executed. But the king, remember, there's been 30 days 30 days of tension, he hasn't seen her, she hasn't seen him. But for whatever reason, she walks in and he just, his heart just melts at her beauty, at her demeanor, and he just puts out his scepter. She touches it and he says, honey, what do you want? Up to half my kingdom, what do you request? And she says, I would like to have dinner with you tonight. Let me give you a banquet for you and for Haman. We can talk then. So they're there at dinner that evening, and at the end of the meal, he says, Well, Esther, what is it you would like? Up to half my kingdom. And she says, I want to have one more banquet with you tomorrow, and there I will tell you my request. And please, let's have Haman show up as well. So they do. Now, Haman is an arrogant guy. He is so pathetic. He goes and he is just feeling so happy about himself. It says in Esther chapter 5, verse 9 now, Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. This is the first banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him. Isn't that interesting how the elites will behave? Like you should be afraid of them instead of be in relationship with them. Haman became furious. Well, he gets home and he calls all his friends together and he tells them about his rise to power and to glory. It reads in verse 12 and 13, Then Haman added, And that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet. She prepared for us, and she has invited me to dinner to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, But this is all worth 
nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Well, the wife and the friends, they decide to weigh in and they say, what you need to do is, is you need to build this incredible structure, this pole, put it in the courtyard, and then when you get opportunity, you can impale Mordecai on it and have him hang on it. He was excited about that idea. He was going to get the king to give him approval. Well, the king couldn't sleep that night. And because of that, he asked his servants to come and bring the royal records. And as they're reading out loud the royal records, I don't know, maybe they gave him, uh, put him to sleep by reading and, you know, the, the records. But he hears a story about Haman who rescued him from the assassination attempt. And he said, has anything been done for, for Haman? I mean, for Mordecai? And they said, no. And just then, like this was orchestrated, providence. Here we go. Here's Haman. The king says, who's that out there in the courtyard? Oh, that's Haman. Call him over here. So here he comes all excited and full of pride, walking like a peacock. And the king asks him this. What, what, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? And so Haman thinks, this has got to be for me. So, oh, wow, am I going to take advantage of this? Verse, chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, he says, He should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, and, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on, on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the, of the king's most noble officials. And let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes. And led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Man, he's putting it on thick. The king liked the idea. He really liked the idea and immediately told Haman, you do that for Mordecai, who rescued me from the assassins. <gasps> Can you imagine what he must have been thinking? And sure enough, Haman has to do that. And by lunchtime, he has to go home and with his tail between his legs and how he's angry and how he can't wait to kill this Mordecai now. Now, we're in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 7. And it's the second banquet. And the king asks again, what is it that you want? What's going on? Can you see how she is developing relationship? She goes before the king. He hands out the scepter. She has another banquet. She's building relationships. She's making sure we're okay, you and me, king. And then she's building up that confidence. And she answers as a courageous queen now. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. She's now identifying that she is a woman of God, of Jehovah. Verse 4, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, who would slaughter, who would annihilate us. The king didn't understand until now, 
that his bride was actually Jewish. That he had been tricked, bribed into writing a decree that would literally mean the death of his beautiful queen. He goes out in the courtyard, gets some fresh air and try to think this through. And as he comes back in, he finds at that perfect timing that Haman trips over the couch and falls there at Queen Esther. And the king says, oh my goodness. And here's, here's what he says. Queen Esther has says, it's Haman. He's the one who wants to kill us. He got you to write that edict. He's my enemy. He is the enemy of you and he's the enemy of the Jews. And so now the king comes back in from the courtyard. In verse 8, in despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. Just as the king was returning from the palace garden, the king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as the king spoke, the attendants covered Haman's face. Meaning, you are not allowed to be in the presence. You are not allowed to see the king or the queen. And you will not be allowed to live. Signaling his doom. Haman was then led out of the palace. And experienced some, well shall we say, poetic justice. Let's look at verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. Wow. The king went on to supply soldiers and weapons so that they could go and defend themselves because they couldn't reverse the original order. They made sure all the resources and all the permission and all of the extra manpower and soldiers were there that they could find victory on March the 7th. And they did. So what an incredible blockbuster that which the enemy had set to still kill and destroy, God turned around in the most unique, unusual way to bring victory and salvation and rescue to God's people. Here's some lessons we can learn from the story of Esther. Number one, Queen Vashti. She took, she showed us to take a moral stand. Though she didn't have a big part, let's say, in this film, she had the courage to stand up for her honor, her ethics. And there's something there we can learn. It cost her. Standing up for righteousness can always be a lot more expensive than you think. But it's always well worth it. Mordecai. Take a stand, take a spiritual stand. He was all about Jehovah. He was about standing up 
for the righteousness of God, for his faith. He wouldn't waver in it. He wouldn't bow down. This wasn't about him. Think about it. He knew about the edict. He could have left the empire and gone to a region, maybe Greece, and not be a part of seeing what would happen on March the 7th. But he didn't. He was a righteous man. He was there for the people of God. It takes courage to do the right thing. To say, Jesus, I've sinned and I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to admit that I've been wrong. I need to say, Jesus, have your will, have your way in me. That takes courage. It says in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Mordecai, a man of courage, a man who stood up for faith. Esther, take a positional stand. She stood up. She fought with all the human fears, but eventually she embraced courage. Amazing. With the help of a family member, Esther understood that God had put her in this unique position for this unique time. You're in your marriage, you're in your family, you're in your community for such a time as this. There will be opportunities if you will allow yourself to see in the spirit realm, to hear in the spirit realm that which God has destined you to be a part of and to do for the kingdom of God. Are you willing to take a positional stand Watch what God would do. Here's four. God. Recognize his sovereignty. Though God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther, his sovereignty is everywhere in it. He brought Esther to Persia. That's sovereign. That's, that's providential. He gave her beauty so she could win the beauty pageant. She was given favor. Why? Providential, God's sovereignty. P placed Mordecai to hear those who were going to assassinate the king. That was providential. You go through this whole story and you find out the hand of God, the sovereignty of God. It's everywhere. And folks, in this pandemic, with all these things that we don't know who to trust, what to trust, we're convinced of this, we're convinced of that, we're not sure about this, we're not sure about this. What you can be sure about is the hand of God is active and moving in this place right here, right now. We just need eyes to see, ears to hear what God wants us to see and to hear. Let's not be dismayed. Let's not be angry. Let's trust that if God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God could use a peasant who had no mom or dad, who was adopted by an older cousin, 
to be able to be the queen of Persia, the greatest, the greatest nation at that time, then God can use us. God can use you. We need to expect to see God at work in the ordinary, and you will be overwhelmed at how many times you see the hand of God. But you just got to look. So I have a question. As we look at this long story that I just went through, who do you relate to the most? The bad guys? The good guys? Do you see yourself as a Vashti, a King Xerxes, a Haman, a Mordecai, an Esther? Who do you see yourself like? And if there is something that's not right, would you say, Lord, thank you for revealing that to me? God, forgive me. Make me more like your son. Forgive me for not being where you want me to be. Not just in a physical place, but in my heart. Help me to be right. Help me to be right with you, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to think, is God fighting for you? Yeah, he is. My wife wrote an email this past week, and I'm going to read part of it to us. This is one of the emails for the 40 days of prayer, and she says, We are praying for each of you. Let's remember the battle belongs to the Lord. In 2014, long before I knew what God would take us through, the Lord woke me up in the night and led me to Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. She says those words carried me through a really hard season and have so much meaning to me even today. It was a constant reminder to myself. It became my declaration and the wallpaper of my screensaver on my phone. I read it every day. As the people of God, we are in a battle today. The Lord will fight for us. And the stillness we need in this battle can only come through prayer. We must battle in prayer. We need to draw the circle. And then when it's time to step into the river, we are ready. One of the greatest beauties of the book of Esther is seeing the cycle of abuse of authority and power that it was overcome by those who were willing to be upright, to stand for God and for His holiness, and to trust the King that He would fight for them, and He did. Folks, I don't know what we're all facing, but my wife is right. We're in a spiritual battle, and we are fighting against principalities and powers in high places. And sometimes it's easy to think that we're losing. 
when the truth of the matter is, God is going to do, well, ironic justice. And that very thing that, well, the enemy of our soul has planned for our demise will be used against him and his cronies. I'm not crying out for death. I'm just crying out for God, your will, your way. Father, set your people free. Encourage, build up our faith that you will fight for us. Just like you fought for Esther and Mordecai and all of the people of God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you will fight for us. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Let God be the lifter of your head. Let him encourage you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for all that they are facing right now. The stresses, the tension. Father, the physical problems, the medical issues. I pray healing over your people. I pray you be the lifter of their head, Lord, those who are just struggling emotionally and mentally. Set the captive free. Lord, we know that greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. We want to gather together in the name of Jesus, but we want to do it your will, your way, your time. Father, show us. Reveal to us. I pray victory for your people. I pray blessing be upon them. I pray that they're able to sleep at night. I pray they have words for their children and their children's children. Give them wisdom. Give them guidance. Put a smile on their face that God is in control. That He is fighting for us. We love you, Lord. I pray blessing on your people. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.